Let's go to uh, Matthew 12. It's good to have uh, Rich Rowland visit us finally after all this time. He's become a world evangelist, so we're glad to get him back. Uh, Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. One of the most sobering verses in the Bible that uh, when there's been greater opportunity and greater light, there is going to be greater judgment. And here Jesus says, you know what? If Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, uh, what about a generation I've preached to, but they've refused to repent? Uh, was this a better preacher? Could there be a better messenger? It is the amazing thing in history. Sometimes God uses bozos greater than great men. And we want to always give the credit to the man. He was so great. He was so great. And what I would like to do is say that three things. I want to just catch the themes of the four chapters of Jonah and do it this way. Jonah, what he did and what his faults were, the bad example, the Jesus example, and then ourselves. And I'm going to try to do that with each chapter without looking at each verse because these men have preached it. I'm going to summarize the lesson and then just walk through it. What Jonah did, what Jesus did, what about us? And uh, let me say, first of all, why we believe in missions. And no one states it, I think, better than John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He said this, why should we be involved in the divine mission enterprise? Why should we want to help reach the unreached people groups of the world with the gospel? Is it just compassion for people? Well, missions is going to end someday. Missions is just a temporary thing. It doesn't go on forever. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. 
It is a temporary necessity, but worship will go on forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples of the earth in the greatness of God, so that Revelation 5, 9 is God's heart. I want a company of people who will be redeemed from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, that they may sing forever the worthiness of the Lamb who was slain for them. And in order to do this and to form this choir, there is missions. But the ultimate thing is to have a congregation of worshipers. And God said back in 8th century B.C., I want Ninevites in the choir. I want Ninevites to be there, born out of due season, as it were, when I'm dealing with a nation called Israel. I want at least 120,000 and probably 600,000 souls in Nineveh at this time. I want these people. Jonah, you go. And the purpose of it is, I'm going to turn these pagans into worshipers. I'm going to turn these idolaters, these vicious, cruel people into worshipers of the Lamb. And I'm going to use you to bear the message that turns them in to my own people. That is the goal. So when we want to help reach this country or this people group or that, it's not just uh, compassion for people. There's people all around us. But there are people groups over 2,000 who have no existing church, no a Bible in their language, uh, no ex- uh, self-propagating church among its ethnicity. So we bring in Western missionaries, Anglos to reach dark-faced people. The goal is that one of them will be saved, that God will make them a pastor and they will begin to reach their own people. But we're involved in it because we're involved in promoting the glory of God among the nations. That, that must be our driving goal, our driving goal. Uh, but we can do a lot of stuff with money right here, just keep reaching our own kind. As I was with Saquant Batia, and we were in Old Delhi, which is the old city in Wow, it looks like Bible times. He said, I'm overwhelmed at how little impact you feel like a ministry like ours can have on a billion people. Hindus, Sikhs, Muslims, and less than 1% professing Christian. How does a man take on a billion people? But I'm here, he said, because I think God wants Indians around the throne. I think God wants Indian people to call him Lord. Now, let's just weigh ourselves. And with this great, great purpose for missions, uh, let's go and see one book in the Bible that the prophet was truly loved to throw out, Jonah. I'd hate to have this as my biography to be put it in the Bible. So when you gather, read about my life, how I ran from God. Well, this is exactly what happened. Let's uh, go chapter 1. 
The theme runs this way. Are you running from God or are you willing to run for God? Uh, if we ever mobilize God's people, we'd be amazed. It's like in this church. 50% of those who attend never give $10 a year to this ministry. 50%. Well, we sure don't exist because of you. You're a freeloader and you're in sin. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's sin. If you don't know what it is, remember, it's sin. God's told his people to give. So much of church work, 20%, 250 givers in this church keep this church going. 250 people. So if the rest died, we would never miss it financially. God kill them and replace them with givers. Wow. Call down. This is supposed to be a missions conference. Kill off anybody you can, Lord. Why does he keep the Henri alive so long? Same with getting out the good news about Jesus. And here, if you're dealing with people in the pew that are busy running from God, and you must learn from the lesson, if you look in that first chapter, five times it says Jonah went down. He went down. He went down. He went down. He went down. Second of all, in order to get away from God, I'm always gripped by the fact he had to pay the fare, and he just had just enough money to get a, a ticket to get away from the will of God. And you've got to ask yourself as a member, as a believer, uh, are, are you uh, doing what God says? Or are you running from it? Are you running toward him? And what's scary is uh, this is not an unsaved man. This is not a man hanging out at the pool hall. This is not an unsaved man dealing on the side. This is God's prophet. He's got enough theology. He should know better. And yet we see the dilemma there is God had an easier time working with pagans than he did with his own men. And I think so much of my own pastoral preaching has been to try to talk believers into loving God. Talk believers into serving God. Talk believers and uh, don't give up, don't get discouraged. Why don't you witness? Why don't you pray? Wow, it's no wonder our sermons are boring so many times because we're saying the same thing to the same people and we have little time for evangelism or missions because we're consumed trying to get the unmoved to be moved. So you've got to ask the question, uh, am I a Jonah? Am I hard for God to work with? Or am I running towards his will? running towards his will, wanting to do everything he wants. If it brings him pleasure, I don't have to pick the assignment, do I? I shouldn't be able to pick who I go to, where I go. I, I'm his to command, right? I, I'm owned. I'm divine property. So, so we, uh, there's only one head of the church, and you could save a lot of energy quit trying to be that head. Uh, 
to submit to him, to submit to this head. Uh, what, what does he want you to do? What's your mission? Why do you exist? Why, do you, why is God tolerating you to be alive, as it were? He, we were created for his good pleasure. What is the will of God that you may be running from as a Jonah or that you're running to? Uh, life is quickly dissipating all of us. Uh, my, I, I, I look back and I, I think one of the one thing I could say about my life. From 15 years of age on, I could say this. I have no regrets. I have no regrets. There's nothing I would do over again. The only thing is I'd give myself a hundred times over and, and I would pursue him more if I could. Uh, I see people with health, strength, youth, money, opportunity, and I think, so what? Until they put it at the master's feet, until all that you are is owned and governed and directed for his good pleasure, so what? You're, you're going to leave it all. You're going to leave it, and only what is done for this master. And so I, I look at my Savior, Jesus, uh, what about you, a greater than Jonah? In, in what way would you be greater in this example? Well, you hear verses like this, I have come to do thy will, O God. Uh, I have come to fulfill your will in the volume of the book, Hebrews 10, 5. Or you see a man that says, uh, in Jonah 1, he creates the storm. God's the ultimate creator, but he caused the storm. You see, when you're out of the will of God, you're ruinous to other influences. You don't bring anything good. Where you go, there will be trouble because God will track you down. And uh, he created the storm. He put these people in jeopardy. When Christ came, he entered the storm that he didn't create. He entered the storm that the rebellion of man from Eden on created. The world was already in a whirlwind of downward cesspool destruction. And our heavenly Jonah leaves a throne, enters the storm that we created, the storm that we made, and he says, I'm not going to just be swallowed by a fish. I'm going to die to end the storm. He's much greater, willing. He never said no to his father. Just think when he's in the agony of Gethsemane. Uh, father, uh, th th this is getting more serious than I ever, ever dreamed. My humanity is wrenching under the, uh, the coming weight of abandonment. I'm feeling it. It's coming on me in the shadows of Gethsemane. By the way, my humanity would say, is there any other way? Is there any other way to do the will of God without Gethsemane? Is there any other way to say yes to the will of God besides the cross? But if there's not another way, let your will be done. I'm the clay, you're the potter, and though I have all the prerogatives of deity, I submit to your will. This is the goal God has for every one of us. Is it his will you're living for or your will? 
Are you running for God? Some of you are a lot faster running for sin than you are for God. Run for sin and crawl for God. Why don't you trust this same God to energize you? I read Psalms 29, 11 this week. That was a great verse for me. God is the strength of his people. God will give you all the strength you need. You know, I have to say on this trip, like I was in a crisis, so I had several things going on in my body. Wearing out a prosthesis, so that means it's moving around in my hip, so I was limping, all that. But you know what? My strength was according to the assignment. And I thought, this is crazy to even be going. I, I, I'm a wreck. I don't need to be out here. I'm barely getting around. But I have to tell you, I had strength. I just said, get me a stool. I'll, I'll teach anyway. It didn't bother them at all, even in the miracle service. See, God's strength is according to his assignment. You'll have all the strength you need to do the will of God. He'll give you all the strength. So you got to just answer the question. Only you can answer, is the will of God the governing force in my life? It's like Meg and uh, Dave. It's kind of crazy in this economy to leap out and go out and want to start a church, unless at least a millionaire underwrites it. But, but when did living by faith ever make sense? Some of you are just calculated risk takers. You, you got to have all the guarantees, guarantees. Well, living by faith, the only guarantee is God come through. God is my strength. Second thing I think we ought to ask ourselves is uh, when Jonah prayed, when you read the prayer of Jonah, it's a profound piece of theological uh, study. You, could, you stay a long time, and he, this boy knows how to pray. But you know what's interesting? He was articulate and just profound and theological and his monotheism and his Hebrew roots and his concept of God abounded. The only thing is the only thing that got him to pray was him being in a pinch. You know, when you got a, a whale's rib next to you, you're in a pinch. And some of you only pray in a pinch. He, he, he prayed profoundly about himself. Lord, hear me in my distress. You're the God that delivers people in distress. And I'm just thinking God's saying, yeah, I, I really agree with you there, son. That's why I'm sending you to Nineveh. I don't want to pray for them, God, because they don't need your relief. I need your relief. No, you're in the mess that you created. But he was profound in prayer if it only concerned him. The only time he prays in the place is when he prays about getting out of the predicament and with the seaweed wrapped around his head and the rebellion still going on in his heart. He knew God was a God of salvation. He knew he was a God that heard men in distress. He just didn't want to take it to anybody else. And so... Uh, I think sometimes much of our praying is so me-centered that uh, the same kind of praying ought to be going on for our neighbor, for our lost. Uh, you know, we live in Nineveh. You, you know, I, I'm in Nineveh. Maybe you don't know. There's a lot of pagans around here. 
You don't know that they kill people on the streets of Richmond and Oakland and, and drugs. One ounce of Coke can get you killed. You, you don't know that, do you? Or, or you don't want to admit it. No, no this is where we are. This is, Nineveh is no worse than what the San Francisco Bay Area is. And God has sent somebody to reach this area. You see, I don't have to go. I already went. I'm where God sent me. I'm right where he sent me. I was in Fresno. I wasn't here. I was going the other way. I was going to the Bible Belt of California, San Joaquin Valley, where all the Okies live. That's where the Bible Belt was 40 years ago. No Bible Belt ever been in the San Francisco Bay Area. But God cares if San Francisco people go to heaven or not, and he sent men and women like us to reach them. Because God loves even the San Francisco Bay Area. He loves this area. We must reach it. So I ask, are we praying? Christ, I just read this morning, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. I came to gather you unto God, but you wouldn't have me. Instead of, uh, I don't care if you perish, I come to sentence you. I don't really care if you go to hell or not. Repent or forget it. And you think you could just remain stoical and aloof from your audience. But the Son of God, as the pressures are coming and the rejection is being felt, he says, Jerusalem, you're breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart. The lostness of men breaks the heart of God. And we've got to ask, uh, do we have the kind of burden that can make us an interceding, missions-minded, gospel-sharing church? Or are we all about ourselves? And personally, corporately, uh, it, my dream, if I had a dream, I, I think one thing I wanted for years, I love that we get to the place where we're giving at least 10% of our general fund to missions. That'd be about 300,000. We give about 100. Uh, we don't give great amounts, but thank God for every amount that's given. Because that's, remember, that's uh, 250 people who give that money. Only that as a whole. 30% give 20%. So there's just a few of us doing any missions. Just a few of us underwrite the ministry. Uh, and so, is this the heart of God? What makes us pray? What made Christ pray? In chapter 3, I think something is amazing that uh, if anything it shouts to us is that... Uh, uh, it was not Jonah's preaching style that brought deliverance. That the message is always greater than the messenger. God did more with Balaam's donkey than he did with Balaam. He spoke the word of God. He resisted the prophet. Don't go any further. You can't curse whom God's blessed. And here he starts beating that donkey and beating the donkey. Didn't mind the fact that he talked to him, but he says, I want to beat you for telling me what I want to hear. He said, you know, that, that's quite interesting. God may have a donkey in your pathway. Just don't name them family. Just don't name them whatever influences God may be using. But I think what's amazing to me is how in the narrative, how far removed God's servant is 
in the heart from the heart of God. I mean, they're just a paradox. It doesn't fit. And I mean, uh, how would you like if God sent me to you and said, uh, you know what, I want to tell you, you've got about, uh, mm, about a day to get right with God. And if you don't, you're going to hell. And I, I kind of hope you do. Did, do you think Jonah wouldn't have minded if they'd gone to hell? Oh, I think absolutely. He, what he's opposing to, don't let them ever find out God is merciful to sinners. We must not let it get out. We got, we got to guard this message. We're allowed to have folks in heaven with us we don't like. You, know, you, you, you don't let, man... Please don't tell your enemies. You hope they get vengeance. Something's going on in the prophet that's recorded that he's not in sympathy at all. He delivers the message. What saved those people? He said, God said, if you repent, I will relent. That's all it was. And here's some of those guys, every one of these guys, I guarantee you, spent 20 hours each working on their sermon. And you know what? Jonah didn't even work on his sermon. Didn't even have an introduction. Didn't have three points. He said, hey, by the way, God told me, he said, you guys are going to get it. If you want to get out of it, you can repent. I don't care if you do or not. See you later. Boom. You see if you find any pathos in the man towards these people. There is nothing but animosity He's never changed inside. Here I used to pray all the time, God, give me a burden for souls. Uh, let me intercede for them. Let me weep over them and preach, and nothing happened. My heart was right. My motive was right. And I wonder why God didn't save. But you know, it's amazing that Christ took the road of, I will do the will of God regardless of human external results. You mean you can be God and heal the sick and minister for three and a half years and you could only get 120 people to meet you in the upper room? You call that success? He needed to take Peter Wagner's How to Grow a Church. He, he, he just didn't catch on to methods. He just, come on, Jesus. You got, we got mega churches. The, the nursery runs more than you impacted. Oh, you can feed 5,000, but man, we can get thousands any day if we just feed them. But we're talking about converts, disciples, turn them around. And matter of fact, uh, couldn't you have done a better job picking the 12 you picked? Is that the best you can do? You, you know, every successful leader, leader has to know how to pick men. And one of your men's a devil. Another's a doubter. Another's a loud mouth. Another is a son of thunder. Another is a tax collector. Ran around with prostitutes. Come on, Jesus. You want these guys to take over the, uh, the leadership when you're gone? God does some strange thing using us people to get his work done. And we would think that we could come to the place that we could say with Paul, the love of Christ constrains me to do this work. The love of Christ. Christ is our model, not Jonah. 
the greater than Jonah, said, I find delight in doing it. I delight. I've come to lay down my life. I came to not be not served, but to give my life as a ransom. Oh, Jesus, you're far greater, and men will face far greater judgment if the, a warm, compassionate, loving Jesus bids them to come, and your rejection is of him. For you see, he's not only the message. He is the messenger and the person of the message. He's not just facts. Jesus died, buried, rose again. When you reject the message, you reject a person. And that is the way, the person who cared for you enough to die, to die. Chapter 4, I think, is a haunting thing uh, to all of us. And that is, uh, I just ask you this question. Where do you find your greatest joy in life? Uh, the only time in the book of Jonah that the prophet is happy is when he's sitting in the shade. I just see him with a stogie, <clears throat> you know, a margarita. <laughs> this is the life. This is what God's called me to do. I, I basically, I have fallen in love with momentary pleasure. And in a heat, a hot land, I've been in Lebanon before and just nearly cooked. It, it gets hot. It gets miserable. But here, this breeze is blowing by. And, and you know, he didn't think a thing. He didn't ask where the vine came from. I think mean, God just supernaturally pulls a shade tree over him. Let's just spare the prophet's brain. Let's don't bake him anymore. And he's in love with it. And he gets angry at God over two things. You did what I thought you'd do. You showed mercy. And I don't like it. And two, I finally get something that I am happy about. And you are cutting away my happiness. I just fell in love with the vine. It just doesn't seem possible. I don't care anything about the 120,000, whether infants, those who don't know the right from the left hand. I'm oblivious to all that stuff, that what would be if they didn't repent. Uh, what, I, what makes me happy in the whole assignment is I've got a plant giving me shade. And uh, I thank you for honest with ourselves uh, is doing God's will your greatest pleasure or have you settled for a lot of lesser things? Is it uh, comfort, pleasure, pursuing money? You know, people say they have no time for God. Well, no, because you work an extra 20 hours a week to support your materialism. Why don't you work a 40-hour week? Why don't you tell him you only work so much because you want to have some time free for God? You like all that overtime. You don't give off of it. You just consume it on your own lust. Say, I don't have time. It's like leadership in the church. We get men sometimes willing that aren't available. The jobs consume them. 
It's a terrific tension that men face. Well, uh, I think of Christ. He said that uh, when he came, his joy was to announce grace and truth. He didn't come to condemn. He found no joy in the thought of men not receiving him. He said, I found you condemned. I didn't come to condemn you. I found you in this condition. God brought the law and its penalty with Moses. But when he sent me, he didn't want any more penalty. He was trying to give you an escape from penalty, an escape from wrath. And I find great joy in coming to be this lamb that will purchase your deliverance. You see, I'm all about grace. I'm all about not giving men what they deserve, but giving them what they could never earn, free of charge. I'll pick up the charges. I'll pick up the charges. This is our gospel. That's why, really, you ought not to be ashamed to bring uh, the worst person in your life to church. If you're convinced, they'll hear about a God of grace. Now, if you think we're just going to beat up on them because they're hell-deserving sinners just like all of us, and we don't have any good news that goes on in our uh, messages around here, you ought to tell the pulpit, I wouldn't bring anyone that I wanted to get saved because they'd never hear about Jesus and never hear the gospel around here. You're too busy giving us five methods of having a good marriage. You have a good marriage and go to hell. That's side benefits. Your primary problem is fleeing the wrath of God and finding a covering. You see, ever since man fell in the garden, he's been looking for a covering. And the only thing that covers is the atonement. And the very Hebrew word for atonement means to cover. He wants to cover you. He's wanting to say, I've got you covered. Come to me. Come to me. And so we see Jesus is the greater than Jonah. He ran to do the will of God. He prayed for a lost world. He came to not condemn, but to bring us the mercies of God. And his greatest pleasure was not owning a mansion down here, owning this or that. One garment that mom made for me will do for all life. I don't need a place to lay my head. The birds have a nest. I don't. I didn't come for pleasure. I came to serve, to be spent, and to do the will of God that can populate heaven with hell-deserving sinners. That's my mission. What's ours? What's ours? I had an uh, email this week from a woman. Uh, she said, I can't believe I'm writing you. doesn't go to this church, so you can enjoy the illustration. Uh, uh, she said, I, I, I can't believe it, but uh, for two and a half years, I've been in a downward spiral, and I, I, I'm at a... I'm in the pit of depression. I'm going to therapists, but getting no better. I'm going here and there. And I know this young lady. She grew up in this church. Been out of church for years. One thing after another. She said, please, I'm crying in despair. I'm coming to you because I trust you. Is there any way out? Is there any way out? I said, well, I, would, I got three things I would tell you to do. Contact 
Barbara Wilkins, we have a grief share ministry. She'll listen to you. She'll understand. Two, I'd come in and talk. I'd get a pastor again. You've been running from God for years. You got bitter in a church spat. You've been out of church. You've been mad at God and Christians now for probably 15 years and getting no better. And you know what? I'd get in the presence of God who draws nigh to brokenhearted, depressed, downcast people. He's a, he's a heart lifter. I would come back and get with his people. And then I simply signed off. I'm willing to talk when you are. And so many times we're like Pharaoh when he called Moses in. Please remove the frogs. And Moses says, when? He says, tomorrow. And many of you want to spend another night with the frogs rather than to run to God. He's ready now. This is the God of Jonah. Not the God that Jonah was wanting to preach, but he knew this was the kind of God he had met in God. And so we should not be ashamed of the gospel you ought to be able to bring the biggest atheist, uh, the worst prostitute, the biggest drug. Bring them here. We've got a gospel that we're not ashamed of because it ends your penalty, it ends your shame, and you begin a new life in Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. Let's stand. I've got to get the parking lot empty. You know what? You need to start praying as we come to Easter because last week I came to the second service, uh, and I came about 10:15. Did you know what? There's no parking available. That the senior pastor has no place to park when he comes. <laughs> I'm down here in the boonies, and, and uh, I thought, where is that staff parking thing that Ted did? I, I mean, just dog meets back home, you know. I was a celebrity there, and I got home. I told Carolyn, now when I get home, I got to empty the trash. You know, from this, from miracle services to empty the trash. I said, pray that we figure out parking. We got to do it because uh, our people, we've got room in the building. We don't have room in the parking lot. And our second service, usually we get started, really we start getting an audience about 15 after. You know why? You're grabbing another donut on the way out <laughs> and uh, visiting and they're out there nearly about to cuss before they go to church. When can I get a place to park? So we got to work on it, and you need to get to your car and sue them as much as you can. God bless you. You can go.